And we're going to get started because we have a lot of information to go through in a short amount of time. Um, so we're going to whip through some stuff. But we, the title of tonight is it's called The Love Test. And I know it's not February and I know it's not like a love month or any of that, but I just feel like that there's no specific month for God's love. And uh, I got just a really fun revelation on what love really is because I believe that love is something that is overused in our society and misused so often um, that sometimes when we talk about love, it can just be thrown around. I love chocolate and the next day we say we love Jesus. And those are great things, but we put equal value on tangible and intangible and eternal and non-eternal. And there's so many different ways that we use the word love. And in the word of God, we see a few different uses. So we're gonna focus on one of those uses this evening, but I want us to understand really the power that love really is and the attribute that it is in our lives that we're able, when I studied this out, I was kind of like shell-shocked, like, oh my gosh, God has made this available to us. And sometimes it is so overlooked and we don't really know what we even have. And so I'm very excited for the word. So I would ask as kind of like the disclaimer that we would maybe get a new revelation of love that we've never had before. That we would say, God, open my eyes to see this differently because maybe a lot of times something, maybe love has hurt us or we have felt let down by love. And so then when we hear about the love of God, we're like, they say it's unconditional, but is it really? Maybe when we hear about the love of people, yeah, but they'll always walk away, right? And so we, we set these boundaries on love and our understanding of love and even our willingness to love and receive love because of experiences that we've had. And so my ask tonight is that we would really go, God, open my eyes to a new revelation of love. And as I was praying just for each and every one of us and praying for the word tonight, there is one thing that I, I def definitely know is that I know God said that, man, they've been, there's people questioning my love for them. There's people questioning my love for them based on something that has happened. So I don't know what that is, but it's caused a questioning of God's love that can he really love me? or a question of, can he really, is he really gonna come through? Can he really, and so I know that there's that question, that there's been a questioning of God's love. And I want you to know that, that that's not the case, that God's love truly cannot fail. And we're gonna jump into that tonight, but I just wanted to kind of set that disclaimer. So um, love is very important throughout the word of God. Tonight, we're gonna focus on what is called agape love, which is the God kind of love. And here's the cool part about the God kind of love, we can't do it. We can't do it. The only way that we can operate in agape love is by being surrendered to Christ and it's God working through us. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning I have no access to it outside of God, outside of my relationship with God. I cannot operate in agape love. So it's like this super love or secret power that we get from our relationship with God, which is kind of a really neat way to be able to look at this. Um, so it's, it's the love test. So really, I took the test today, so we're gonna go through all of these. I failed, so I thought, we should all fail together. And then we'll fail forward and be like better next time. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through this, and we're gonna see some real attributes that are kind of crazy. So the agape love, it is mentioned 116 times. There's three different kinds of love, several different, but three different primary kinds of love that are used in the Bible. We're gonna talk about agape. The, just this kind of love in the Greek is used 116 times. I would say love's pretty important to God when he mentions it that many times, right? All right, so I wanna look at just gaining some clarity here about God's importance that he places on love. Because sometimes we can think love is love, it is what it is. Or if I say, what is love? You guys say, baby, don't hurt me, right? That's usually what comes to mind. That's what I've been singing all day. I told Oren, I can't preach this message because I'm like, ugh, I'm gonna sing it. but. I'm really not gonna sing it, I'm just gonna quote it and then you will all sing it all night long. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? All right, what's love got to do, got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? <sighs> Great tunes. I have been worshiping all day to these songs. I just, I felt it. It's something great coming this evening. But God places just as much, just incredible importance on love. And I wanna look at a few scriptures here. Let's go to John or 1 John 2.15 to start. That was fairly decent. We'll take it. There we go, it's a little better. A little sporadic. I know you guys were just singing all my songs. Couldn't focus on the scripture. Let's 
All right, 1 John 2, 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The second one I'm just gonna quote, and then we'll, so you can start turning to Luke eleven forty two. 42, why I quote this one, but it's Matthew 24, 14, or 24, 12. And it says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And then we just read that when we love the world, it's what it, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right, so let's keep going. Let's look at Luke eleven forty two. And it says, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought have done without leaving the others undone. So I just think that's interesting that they're, they're doing the right things. And God says, you did this, but you pass by justice and you pass by love. And it's the same agape love. You pass by both of these things and you should have done both. So we can be good people doing good things and not be walking in the true genuine love of Christ that we've been created to walk in. And we're gonna talk about what that is. I just have a couple more scriptures I wanna read. Um, there at 1 John uh, 3, sorry, I should have done that one while we were there. 1 John three sixteen. And it says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's not just what we're saying. Love is not just something that we say. I wanna kind of lay that foundation that it's not just something that we're saying, but it's how we're living our life. It's how we're treating the people around us. But are we seeing the importance that God is placing on love just so far in these few scriptures? And then let's look at, I'm gonna quote this one, but you can turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. That's kind of where we're gonna live for a little bit. So 1 Corinthians 13. And I want us to also, while we're turning there, think about the church of Ephesus in Revelation. The problem with the church of Ephesus in Revelation is that they were the loveless church. It said that you were doing all of these things so well. Paul laid down a whole, or John, whoever, laid down a really great list and said, you're doing these things amazing. These are wonderful things that you are doing, but I have this one thing against you. And what was it? You lost your first love. Same word love, agape love. You lost your first love. And so as we go to 1 Corinthians 13, we're gonna see kind of the same thing that there seems to be a pattern of saying the right things. There seems to be a pattern of doing the right things, but not walking in love. And so it's like this false sense of spirituality that the church is living with because in Corinthians and in all of these, in Corinth at the time, but in all of these scriptures that we've read, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church going, you have, you're doing all this right. You're saying all the right things, but we're not living out love. And when I look at the world we live in today, I go, I feel like he's kind of talking straight to us, right? We say the right things. We pretend to do the right things. We have this great loving front. But when I failed the love test, I realized there was a really big issue. So we're gonna, we're gonna jump in and find out what the love test really is. So 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read one through three. And then we're gonna go on from there. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. We did a series a while back all about the spiritual gifts and the gifts that God has given us. And we talked about the importance of each and every one of us walking in those. But this says you can have all of those things. And if you don't have love, it's of no profit to you. If you don't have love, it means nothing. And so love is a big deal to God. 
So we're gonna jump in here. And I, I just wanna mention there, when it says that you're, when you don't have love, you become like a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. Okay, how many of you guys are around toddlers ever? Okay, if I were to give them really loud, noise-making, banging toys, how great would that go for you? <laughs> right? Okay, they're gonna walk around and they are having the time of their life. But how is that for you? On a scale of one to 10, 10 being, I feel great about it. You would be a negative something and a zero, right? Okay. When we operate, even as good Christian people, without love, that's what you sound like. The world around you is super irritated. So as the church, as the body of Christ, no matter where we're at, when we don't operate in the love of God and the agape love of God that we have access to, we sound like a clanging cymbal. We just irritate everyone around us. That's not a good, but it's a great visual for you. So now anytime you have a child banging on something, you're gonna be like, do I love people? You're gonna know because the first attribute of love, we're gonna walk through 15 very quickly and we're gonna see how many of these we pass. So you can give yourself a score out of 15. I won't make you say it out loud, okay? So the first one is love is patient. So when your child has that clanging thing, we get to practice this one because love is patient. It means the actual Greek meaning is the patient restraint of anger. The patient restraint of anger. That's what this actually means. How many of you got 100 on number one? Great, we're doing well. All right. It doesn't give up or bow out. It just keeps going. In our human nature, we get super irritated and we're pretty short-tempered and we want stuff to just, we just want to deal with it. Okay, in every one of these attributes, here's the thing I want us to watch for. The first thing I want us to watch for is this is God's love towards us. So if you think you can make God mad, he would have to compromise his character because it just says that love is patient, right? So when you think that God is angry at you, you'd have to compromise who he is to be angry at you. So we're gonna look at this two ways. The first way we're gonna look at it is, wow, man, how cool is God's love for me? And the second way we're gonna look at it is, man, I got a really long way to go to love people that way. Okay, so that's the two way we're gonna look at this. So the first one, Love is patient. It doesn't give up. It doesn't bow out. It just keeps going. It gets stronger the longer it waits. So if we were to rewrite this scripture, according to how it was originally written in the Greek, it would say, love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. I'll read the last part of that because I know you were like, yeah, amen, amen, what? I'll read the last line one more time. Love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. This is going well so far. For as long as patience is needed. That means we don't quit. That means we don't give up. When someone, we were like, man, I have tried encouraging you for like a hundred years. We don't give up. Love does not give up. Again, when you try to do this in your own strength, you will fail epically and become double angry. But when you do this in God's strength, because that's the only way to have agape love, then that's when we're able to really grow our love in this area because the, the, it gets stronger the longer it waits. Look at James 1 really quick. Keep your place there because we're coming right back. James 1, we've been talking about trials on Sundays. We're in that series. But I just find this interesting. Blessed, oh, that's First Peter. Let's go to James. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hmm. When I allow patience to be developed in me through love, this is through love, remember. When I allow patience to be developed in me through love, then this says that I may be whole and complete, lacking nothing lacking nothing because I developed patience, because I was willing to stay for as long as it took and I didn't quit. And as long as patience was required, I kept loving and I kept loving and I kept loving. All right, number two, love is kind. 
go back over. I guess I don't need to be over there. Love is kind. The word kind means to be adaptable or compliant to the needs of others, not demanding others to be like you. To be adaptable or compliant to the needs of others. The sound effects are wonderful. Brandon, we need a crowd mic, effective immediately. This is wonderful. To be adaptable or compliant to the needs of others, not demanding that others be like you. A willingness to serve and change in order to meet the needs of others. Okay, I also wanna put a disclaimer on this one because this is what happens in Christianese. We decide that we speak Christian and we live it to the best of our ability in our own strength. Okay, there is a huge difference between the desires of others, the wants of others, and the needs of others. Okay, because this goes both ways. One way this goes, great, I'm never gonna have my life again. I'm just gonna live my life meeting everybody's needs around me. And we kill ourselves working for everybody else. Those aren't needs because somebody wants you to do something and because an actual need that someone has, those are two different things. So we have to be, again, sensitive. If this love comes through the person of God and through our relationship with him, then that's where we can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If this is a fruit of the Spirit and go, God, is this something, what is the need that I can meet here? Because they may need you to come work for them for the next 12 years because they don't wanna do it. God says, just write them a check. You saved 12 years of life just by asking God a question. That's a grand, big analogy there, but in every area, is it actually a need? Because God will supply everything that we need to meet the needs of people around us, and he'll supply everything we need to meet our needs. But we have to be careful that we don't allow others, A, to go, you're being selfish because you're not meeting my needs. That's, that's not love. That's not the character of God. But then we also have to be careful that we're not literally killing ourselves, living life out of order and sacrificing anything that matters to meet the needs that aren't actually meet needs. Does that make sense? So that's a disclaimer on this one that yes, we absolutely need to change. We need to be able to serve the people around us and serve the needs and meet the needs. But I promise you, it will not contradict the order that God has placed in the word of God. And it will not contradict his character. So just be careful on that one. It does not think of itself first. It adapts to those around them in order to touch them, to help them and to impact them in a meaningful way. How cool. Love is kind. So if we were to rewrite this, According to the Greek, it says, love doesn't demand others to be like itself, rather focus on the needs of others. Rather focuses on the needs of others. Okay, here's a bigger example to kind of put this in perspective. We're doing this in a, in a class we're doing with our staff, but Jesus didn't come to earth to God over us, right? He came to earth as a man to be among us so then he could serve us, so that he could meet our needs, so that he could be with us, he could be present. And the perfect example of someone that could meet the needs of everyone around him was Jesus. So he came and he adapted to those around him in order to serve us, does that make sense? So there we go. So that's, that's just an example of that servanthood there and that love. So number three, love does not envy. Love does not envy. This was a different meaning of envy. I always thought envy was like being jealous of something. When you look this up in the Greek, that's really not what it means. Um, love does not envy is a person who is radically consumed with his own desires and plans. A person who is radically consumed with his own desires and plan. That's what envy actually means. It's so bent on his own way that he will sacrifice anything and anyone to get it done so bent on his own way that he'll sacrifice anything and anyone to get it done. That's what love is not supposed to be. Love does not envy. Love thinks outward, outward and it thinks of others. Love wants to see others blessed and others wants to see others successful. So if we were to rewrite this one, it's that love is not ambitious, self-centered, or so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs or desires that others possess. So I just paused so that we could take a minute to really think this through and go, is this, is this an area that I'm walking out love or will I sacrifice things to get my way? 
Will I sacrifice things to appease my own interests and my own desires? Do I put other people on the, on the back burner so that I can get what I want accomplished because my agenda is in front of anyone else's? Or do we genuinely, can we genuinely say and go, no, I, I look at other people. I wanna see other people blessed. I wanna see them successful and whatever I can do to be a part of their life because inside the church and outside the church, we're still the body of Christ which means we're constantly building each other up and edifying one another. And I can't function without everybody in this room and you can't function without everybody in this room. That's how the body works. And so if I'm only concerned about my agenda and what I need done and my own interest, then I'm willing to sacrifice anybody and anything. It's not love. But again, the only kind of love that can really do this is the kind that we can get from God. I can't live agape love on my own. I just wanna keep reiterating that. But then think about, cause I told you on every one of these to think about what, who God is in this too, when we think about the love of God. So think about this, if we've ever felt like a puppet so that God can get his mission accomplished, that would contradict his character. If we've ever felt like God's just using us to get what he wants undone and my life doesn't matter, it's not true, that would contradict his character. Because envy is a person who is radically consumed with his own desires and plans, so bent on his own way that he sacrifices anything and anyone to get it. It's not the character of our God. The character of our God says, no, I sacrifice anything to make sure you succeed. But you succeed best when you're being who I created you to be and you're doing what I've created you to do. There's freedom in that, not legalism in that. So how cool the love of our God there. Number four. Love does not parade itself. In the Greek, the word is vaunts, actually. Love vaunts not itself. I just feel kind of cool saying that, but it does not parade itself. And what this is, is lots of self-talk. A person who endlessly promotes himself and exaggerates his own virtues. A person that is full of hot air. We don't know how full of ourselves we can be. This usually reveals deep-rooted insecurity. And through this, the, the purpose in the self-talk and the, and the promotion is that usually this person will seek to gain a higher position of authority or a private agenda to promote. They want special status or recognition, basically are trying to prove their worth. So this is one that if we're constantly trying to prove our worth, by talking about what we can do and what we can accomplish and how cool we are and what gifts we have, then what we're doing is we're self-promoting and we're not leaving room for God to promote us because it's God who promotes us to who we're supposed to be, not man. And so we, our job is to be who we're supposed to be and love those around us instead of promoting who I am, then usually we'll squash what God wants to do in our life. And we, we minimize our potential because I'm, I'm trying to promote myself instead of allowing God to promote me. And so um, this is love does not parade itself. Love is so confident, it doesn't need to speak of itself and its accomplishments. Instead, love focuses on the accomplishments of others by building them up. I loved that, that love is so confident that it doesn't have to speak of itself. Love is so conf confident that it is 100% solid going, I can, I can build the confidence of the people around me. I can build up the people around me. I can pull out the gifts of people around me because that's what love does, right? Love builds up and doesn't tear down and it doesn't build up ourselves, but we allow God to. Love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time. This is the, the rewrite. Love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time constantly exaggerating and embellishing the facts to make it look good and more important in the sight of others. And the example of Jesus that I wanna use in this is that when Jesus came to earth, it says that he came to serve and he came to love, right? He came to heal, he came to, to bind, he came, he came to do all of these things. But one of the coolest things I see is that every time Jesus preached a message and every time that Jesus went somewhere, every time Jesus was encountering with someone, he didn't let them know of his lordship and how godly he was. It actually says that Jesus was revealed because when he had the conversation with Peter and he says, who do men say that I am? 
And he said, well, everyone says you're this person or this person and this person. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, this is what I believe. I believe that you're, you're God, you're the, you're the son of God. And, Peter, and Jesus told Peter there, he goes, that could only have been revealed to you. So our character in the same way, is our character and our position in Christ revealed to the world around us or do we have to tell the world around us? So if we have to tell the world around us, we're self-promoting which is where love is not here, parading ourselves. But if it's revealed to the world around us just by being who we're created to be, that's genuinely love, because that means that's revealed through Christ to people around us. Um, number five, love is not puffed up. First Corinthians eight says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Being puffed up, this is a person filled with pride. Love is never deceived into thinking too highly of itself or to claim to be better than others. A person who has an air of superiority and haughtiness, a person that is snooty and snobbish in dealings with others. And so the whole kind of where this one, you can expand on your reading is if you look at how Paul really confronted the church of Corinth, he went over this over and over and over. And he actually talked to the leaders of the church because they were so prideful talking about the perfection of their church. And Paul said, you have immorality like happening in your home, but you're so prideful, you can't even see it. And it's tearing down your church and it's tearing down your life, but you won't even, you refuse to see it because we're so puffed up. Love doesn't puff itself up. Instead, love is humble. God re rebukes the, the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so when we look at what this could read, it says love does not behave in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior, snooty, or snobbish manner. But instead, love builds up those around it in humility. Lo love builds up those around it in humility. So when we look at this one of what love is here, that it isn't puffed up, I think of like the, like the puffer fish kind of thing. And I think of that a lot of times in my life that I go, when someone says something to me or I feel confronted with a situation and I feel that like, is that a puff up thing? Is that a puff up thing that I don't want you to confront me? I don't want to receive correction. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say because what that does is it, it quenches the love of God at work in our life. And so again, as we go through these, this love test, it's fun to really look at what love really is. I know it's not fun to go, man, I'm like zero for five so far. But as we grow in our relationship with God, and I'm gonna give you the secret on how to actually walk in this when we get to the end, but as we grow in our relationship with God and we grow in the love of God, and we are more concerned about being who God has created us as individuals to be, and not about doing all the things that we're supposed to do to be a perfect Christian, then you'll see these things just naturally start transforming in our life because that's how God has created us to operate. So love is not puffed up. Number six, love does not behave rudely. This is a person thoughtless or tactless towards others, bad manners, harsh, brutal, uncaring, insensitive, and unreal unreal, brutal, harsh, uncaring, insensitive. Love is none of those things. Unreal. If I read this and how it could be written in the Greek, it says that love is not rude and discourteous. It is not careless and thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be cons uh, considered um, insensitive to others. It wouldn't carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. God's in the people business. And living in the God kind of love, A, how cool is this that this is the kind of God we serve that, oh my gosh, can his love actually fail? No, it cannot. I genuinely cannot be separated from it. That Man, he loves us so much, but then on the other side of this going, He's actually given me the ability to love people beyond what I could even imagine. I have the ability to do what I never thought possible because of the love that he's already put on the inside of us, that he's poured out on us. Number seven, love does not seek its own. This is a person that gets so upset about getting their way that he will twist facts, look for loopholes, put words in other people's mouths, holds others accountable to promises that were never made 
will leap on the mistakes of others to twist someone's arm. Really, it's just manipulation. So love does not seek its own. Operating in manipulation, instead of just staying put, staying grounded, being consistent, being, being a steward of where I'm at, a steward of my life, and again, allowing God to bring what I need in life, that I want what I want so bad that I'm willing to manipulate and twist the system and do things that I never wanted to do, use other people in order to get what I want to get. If this is anywhere in our lives, it will quench, again, it will quench the love of God, not to us, because we know that that can't fail, but it will quench the love of God through us to other people. And again, we become like that clinging, that clinging symbol. So do we, do we try to find loopholes to get our way? If we rewrote this, it said, love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. Will twist situations to its own advantage. Number eight, love is not easily provoked. This one's probably my favorite. This is losing your temper after being poked and pricked or stuck with sharp actions or words from others. <laughs> and the response is, here is what the provoked side says, is it um, so easily provoked was not in the original text of the Bible. They added that later in your King James and your new King James version, because they said that King James, the actual King James had a really short temper. So they added the word easy in for his benefit. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, but because we've been provoked, our response is we say regrettable things, acidy words in conflict. The same word for provoked in, oh, I can't remember what language now, in another language is the word vinegar, Russian, I think. The same Greek word for provoked in Russian is the word vinegar, which I think is humorous because when I feel provoked and I say vinegar tasting words back at you because I feel provoked, love is not easily provoked. So how do we respond when we're poked and prodded? That's what it really means. And we're provoked. It's that someone is intentionally sitting there. Okay. You know that I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <laughs> I'm not touching you. And that can be, it doesn't even have to be from people. It can be from circumstances. Sometimes I'm like, my bank account is like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <sighs> it, could, it could be so many things. It could be things breaking down. It could be things just not going in my favor. It could be phone call after phone call and thing after thing. And it's poking and it's poking, but love is not easily provoked. What comes out of our mouth in those instances? Don't tell me, it's a rhetorical question. Keep that to yourself. All right, so if we rewrote this, it is love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp, they cause uglier, sharp responses. Just don't engage, don't engage. Love does, is not easily provoked. All right, love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. Okay, this is the offended bookkeeper. Okay, that's what love thinks no evil is. See, all of these are different than what they thought you were, huh? You're like, no, don't think bad things. Nope, that's not what it is. Love thinks no evil. The original meaning for love thinks no evil is it's the offended bookkeeper that can't forgive and forget, but keeps a very detailed record of everything you've ever done wrong. I say they because I know none of us in this room would ever consider doing something like that. But we keep a record of what they've done wrong. How about like when your kids have kept doing the same thing and then they start doing the right thing and then they mess up later and you're like, see, you did it 12 times last year. What about your spouse? This was not actually the problem. The sock on the floor was because And if it's a guy, he's like, I know you were, up I was upset at you for something. <laughs> and we're like, we know, and you'll never forget it because it's in the abyss. <laughs> if it's your wife, you should sit down. We have a scroll, right? All right, so this is the offended bookkeeper. Detailed records of every wrong ever done to them. Man alive. Does not forgive and let go, but records all that was deemed unfair 
or unjust holds people hostage in their mind. Okay, what's really happening here is when we do that, we hold ourselves hostage in our mind. Because then what the other thing does is because I can hold a wrong against everything that's ever been, instead of keeping track of what's going right, in case of, instead of keeping track of God's goodness, despite of the people failures in our life, instead of keeping track of those, we keep track of all the wrongs. And we are professionals at keeping track of it. So then we're a victim. Everyone's out to get me. It's never gonna go right. I'm always gonna, it's always gonna be this way. I'm never gonna be noticed. I'm never gonna, and we create a victim mentality. But love thinks no evil. Again, let's put God in this. God thinks no evil about you. He does not hold a record of wrongs about you. In Psalms, it says that he cast them as far as the east is from the west, that he blots them out. He remembers them no, no more. That's the kind of God that we serve and we want that kind of love. But then we're like, I didn't actually die for you. I don't have to love you that way. <laughs> Jesus does. But in reality, that's the, that's the love that God gave us. That, man, if we want that love from God, we gotta give that love to the world around us. That's when God can really flow through us, right? All right, number 10. You guys need to stretch, y'all right? You're like, you're poking, you're poking, you're poking. Don't be provoked. Love does not re rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Okay. Don't raise your hand on this one again. It's a rhetorical question. How many of you, when someone really gets what they deserve, you're kind of like, <clears throat> I am so sorry <laughs> for what you're going through. Do you need anything? That's what this one is. <laughs> All right. This is it. It, does, it secretly rejoices when you know someone had it coming and it happened. And you may even think it serves them right. <laughs> Ugh, I know that one hurts a little bit, but love does not do that. Love does not do that. But then I think about God. How many things that we do that God should be like, <laughs> I am so sorry. Do you need something? <laughs> How can I help you? That's not the God we serve. That's not how God loves us. But how often do we do that towards the people around us? And so not rejoicing in iniquity, but then the next one you're like, but rejoicing in the truth. Whew, that's the only one that hasn't hurt so far. No, it hurts worse. <sighs> so this is when, <sighs> the healing or the items that we've been believing for go to someone else. And we rejoice for them with tears of joy because they thought or they got that thing that we've been praying for. Someone else gets healed and I've been praying for that. Someone else gets a new pickup that I've been praying for. So we rejoice. We just have them backwards. That's all. We laugh at one and cry at the other. We just got to switch them so that we cry when people go through hard things and we rejoice with them when they get good things. So we just have to switch our emotions on those two, not a hard change. You got this, I believe in you. So if we were to rewrite this one, it's that love does not feel overjoyed when it sees injustice to someone else, but love is overjoyed with the truth. When good things happen, love isn't threatened by the success of others. Someone else's healing or blessing doesn't make us critical, even if it's something you've been believing for. So love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Man, how glad are we that we serve the God that we do? He loves us so much. Um, number 11, love bears all things. The next four were really cool because I had no idea that they meant what they meant. So when it says that love bears all things, the picture of what this is, is it's like a roof, a protection, a guard, okay? So it's a, it's a protective element that the seasons in life can be good. The seasons in life can be bad. There's gonna be storms that come. There's gonna be trials that we face. There's gonna be good seasons. There's gonna be the winning seasons. There's gonna be the losing seasons. There's gonna be those failures. There's gonna be mistakes. There's gonna be 
all kinds of things. When love bears all things, it means that love is a guard and love is a protection. It's someone who stays near during trouble, but doesn't expose your weakness. It guards and it protects, even when there's weakness. When we go through things and we're provoked and we say things we shouldn't say, love guards that. Love doesn't expose the weakness. Love doesn't go, guess what they're we're going through. Guess what they just did. Love doesn't expose weakness, it protects and it guards in those seasons. So if we were to rewrite this, is it love protects, shields, guards, covers, conceals and safeguards people from exposure. It's our safeguard. Love bears all things. Number 12. Love believes all things. And this is to put faith or trust in someone or something. This is to never give up belief that something will turn out for the best. When it says love believes all things, it's to not give up belief that something will work out for the best. It believes the best in every situation. It doesn't mean that it doesn't acknowledge that there's negative things happening or bad things happening. But what it means is it pushes those aside. It pushes the negative realities out of the way. It doesn't ignore the problems, but it makes a choice to see beyond. When it believes all things, what it's a picture of is actually looking up and seeing beyond what's happening right here because I can see the best over there. So it's looking beyond my current reality to the best of what I know God has for me. That is what love believes all things means, that it looks beyond problems to see what's coming. The other thing that this means is that it looks beyond the problems of the people around us and chooses to look at the best in their potential. It chooses to look in the best of their potential. And again, we see this in the life of Jesus when he comes. Notice like when he found Gideon hiding in the wine press where he wasn't supposed to be doing what he wasn't supposed to be doing. He said, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He didn't say, you wimp, <laughs> what are you doing in here? He called him, he looked beyond and saw his best potential. In leadership studies that I do, it says that your team will thrive the best when you see everybody as a 10. Then on a scale of one to 10, if you look at your entire team as a 10 and treat them as such, you'll have a 10 team. If you treat them based on the number that you, they're acting or they think they are, you'll have a flunking team. But if you treat everyone as a 10, then you'll have a team that functions at the 10 because that's the standard that's been set. And I believe the same of our God that he looks at us as a 10. Despite of what we're doing, despite of what has happened, despite of the mistakes we made, despite of failures, despite of all of those things, we have a God that looks beyond that and says, she's a 10. They're a 10. So A, we gotta look past our, our circumstances and choose to see the good and believe the best. Love believes all things, but then the same thing in people. I choose to believe the best in that person, even though they're acting like a two. They're a 10 and I'm gonna treat them as such and I'm gonna believe as such. So love strains forward with all its might to believe its best in every situation. Number 13, love hopes all things. And this one's very similar, but slightly different. It's the expectation of good things rather than assuming failure or a bad result in someone's life. It expects the best in someone else. So much so that it's filled with anticipation to see that which is hoped for. And so it's more so like, I'm not expecting you to fail. I know we may have, may, may have failed over and over again, but I'm not expecting your marriage to fail. I'm not expecting, a good example of this could be if you have a friend and they're struggling in their marriage and you go, no, love hopes all things. And so I believe that we're gonna see the best. We're not gonna see failure. We're gonna see this restored. And there's such an eager anticipation to see this restored that we're really able to rejoice and go, no, we saw what we hoped for come to pass. That's what love hopes for means. It's this anticipation to see. So love always expects and anticipates the best in others and for others, in others and for others, that we come alongside of people. If they're believing for a job, hope for that for them and anticipate that with them. And God does the same for us. Number 14, we're almost there. Love endures all things. This is a person under a heavy load that refuses to surrender, but here's why because he knows he's in his place. 
because he knows he's in his place. This is under a heavy load, but I refuse to quit. I refuse to walk away because I know this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I know this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And this again is where our relationship with God is so vital to go, if I question what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, who I am, why I'm on earth, then I'll quit when things get hard. And you could have been right where you were supposed to be and quit because I didn't recognize that's where I was supposed to be and who God created me to be. So when we know this is where I'm at, and if you think about it, just the broad example is a marriage covenant of going, this is who I'm in covenant with. I don't care how heavy the load gets, I'm not quitting. I don't care how heavy the load gets, I'm not walking away. And when we think about it that way to go, that's not an option. There's a thousand other options that we can pick from, but that one particular option is not on the table. That's never even mentioned in our house. And so when we talk about even that, that I go, God, I will not divorce the plan that you have for my life. I will not divorce the identity that you've given me. I will not walk away from or quit where you've called me to be and what you've called me to do. And I don't care how heavy it gets and how hard it gets and how confusing it gets, nothing can make me quit. So now flip that again and look at God's love towards us. Regardless of how heavy it gets, regardless of how hard it gets, regardless of all of those things, his love will not quit on you. Your God will not quit on you. But then the same with us, with other people, whether it's our relationship with God, going, God, I love you so much that this is where I'm at and I won't quit. Sometimes I wonder really what it took in that moment when Jesus was on the cross. B and B, all those things that were going down. And I really, and I, I thought about this one that love endures all things. He knew so much that that was exactly where he was supposed to be. That nothing, everything he endured couldn't have made him quit. He would not have quit because that's where he was supposed to be. Do we know where we're supposed to be? In life, do we know where I'm supposed to be in marriage, in my job, in my church? When things get heavy, do we just quit? Or do I choose to stay planted because love endures all things? Love endures, again, if we try to do this on our own, we can't do this outside of God. Um, a person that endures all things is he's where he's supposed to be, regardless of what comes, he stays put. And it goes as far as saying, love doesn't actually know how to quit. Love doesn't actually know how to quit. Love never quits, never surrenders, and never gives up. Number 15, love never fails. Love never fails. Love never disappoints or fails, it never lets down. We have failed people, we have been failed by people, but love can always be depended on and always be reliable. And if we rewrote that one, it would be love never disappoints, never fails and never lets down. Never lets down. So love never fails. So when we think about that, when I'm really operating the agape love that God has put on the inside of me, it won't fail people. It won't fail the people around me. My God can't fail me. Me as a person in the flesh, I'll fail. But the love of God through me, cannot fail people. Love never fails. So now that we've gone through that list, that was the love test. Everybody still doing okay? All right, that's good. Now we're gonna look at really taking a minute and going, okay, how do I know I have this love again? <laughs> and how do I actually operate in that? I wanna look at just a couple of scriptures. Romans 8, 39, you don't have to turn there. This says that we cannot be separated from the love of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But the one I really wanna look at is Romans 5, 5. Cause you're like, man, how do, I, how do I get that love exactly? I didn't realize that's what love was. How do I get that? In 5, 5, it says, now hope does not disappoint. And this right here in this word love is in fact the agape kind of love. It says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That means this love is already living on the inside of you. We already have access to it. 
But where we fail in this is then we try to take this love and use it in our own strength. I try to do, and where it's nothing wrong. It's great intention going, I am trying to be everything that God's created me to be and I'm trying to love people and it's not working. It's in us, so why isn't it working? Let's look at a couple more right quick. John 13, 35. And we're gonna kind of rapid fire some scriptures right here in closing, but I'm gonna bring this all together. By this, so that love that God puts inside of us, that agape love when we're walking in that, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, that is the agape love. It's important to know which love is actually being used in these scriptures. Remember when I said that Jesus was revealed to the earth, he didn't have to proclaim who he was to the earth. We won't have to proclaim our love for Jesus when we're actually operating in this agape love because this says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. Just how we love the people around us will reveal that we are a disciple of Christ will reveal our relationship with God, will reveal who we are in Christ. That is revealed just through loving the world around us. Okay, so how do we do this? Let's go to 1 John 4. And it's easier than you think, I promise. It's the encouraging part of this message. I saved it for the end. So we could all just leave not feeling like we failed the love test. 1 John 4, 12, it says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son as a savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, this part right here, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So the simple answer, how do we actually access this love? How does it actually flow through me? Simply abiding in God. All of that, if we were to sum that up, that he says, I've put everything that you need in you already all that love, all that is already on the inside of you. All I need you to do now is simply abide in me. Abide in my presence. Abide in my word. That, that's it, that's it. That's not hard. We make it too hard. But what's the number one thing we don't have time to do? Abide. We abide in the world. We abide in Facebook. We abide in Instagram, TV. We abide in all these places, but are we genuinely abiding in Christ? Because this makes it very simple for us to go, yeah, I just have to abide in Christ. Let's go to John 15, nine. First Corinthians 16 says, let all you do be done with love. Ephesians 4, 16 says to speak the truth in love. Keep going to John 15, nine. I was just quoting those while you were going there for time's sake, but I wanted to make a, a statement on that. I speak the truth in love. Sometimes you hear people and they go, people don't like me because I just give them the hard truth. And that's really cool. But if it's not filtered through all 15 of those categories of love, it's actually not love. That's the truth that's gonna push people away from God. Because if it was genuinely done in love, then it would lead people to Jesus, not push them away from Jesus. So when we speak the truth in love, make sure we're filtering that truth through all 15 of those attributes of God. Because then it'll, when you look at the woman at the well, Jesus read her mail, right? He spoke the truth, but there was two ways he could have done that. And he did it in love. And what did she do? She left what she was doing. She went and get people she didn't even wanna to talk to and brought them back to Jesus. That is speaking the truth in love. Had he come and condemned her, if he come and just spoke the truth, and went, well, spoke the truth to her. I guess she doesn't like me. She would have went away and she would have nothing to do with Jesus. So when we're speaking truth, if it's not ran through the filter of love, of genuine love of God, then it'll push people away from Christ, not put them to him. So be very careful when you hear people say that or you're speaking truth to someone. First Peter 4, 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. So you guys at John 15? Perfect. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 
We can keep going, sorry, I didn't tell you that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And we're gonna go through 13, Larita. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for his friends. Every one of those are agape love, agape love, agape love. So again, I go back because that scripture right there gets used out of context multiple times when we say, oh, I just, I love them. So I have to lay my life down for every single person around me. What ends up happening is it's a false sense of servanthood and a false sense of humility because we can't do that kind of love in our own strength. That has to be done through Christ, which means that we are walking and living spirit-led, that when I lay my life down for someone, it's for a purpose. And I have the empowerment of God to carry that load because I know that's where I'm supposed to be. Sometimes we can crash and burn and get burned out because I'm trying to lay my life down somewhere in my own strength that I'm not supposed to be. So living and abiding in the presence of God is vital. Um, last one, Colossians 3.12. Man, Larita, you are on it. I didn't give her any of my scriptures. Um, we're gonna go through 14 on this one. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, look at all the things it tells you to put on. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another or even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection. We've seen that perfect word a lot, right? Um, Let's go ahead, if you'll stand with me. One more thing that I wanna say just as we're standing and as we're closing, It changes the way that we look at scripture because the same word, the agape love is the one that's used in 2 Timothy 1.7 when it says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love. That is a powerful kind of love with all of these. Think about that. We have access for all 15 of these attributes to flow through our life in love. That is a powerful thing. It is an incredibly powerful thing to be able to do so. So when it says that, Um, We do not have a spirit of fear, but we have power, we have love, and we have a sound mind. That love confronts fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And it's again, that same agape love, which is the love that we can only get from God, only get from abiding with him, not a love that we can drum up on our own. The last statement, I promise. God won't command that we do something and not equip us to do it. He won't command that we do something and not equip us to do it. Because I know I took this test myself, the love test today. And I know, and I'm like, that seems virtually impossible. But God wouldn't tell us 116 times in just the New Testament to walk in that love and not give us everything that we need to be able to do it. But he only gives us one simple command in order to operate in it. He simply says to abide in him simply says to abide in him. So as we close, my question is not, did you pass the love test? Because let's be honest, but my question is, are you abiding? Because instead of focusing on the love test, my goal with that love test was not to show us all the things that we're not doing. It was to show us all the things that we're capable of doing when we abide in Christ. This is all the stuff that I have access to. It's not about what we're not doing. We know that God covers that. That's cool. We have a relationship with him. His love doesn't see me as a result of what I'm not doing. He sees me as a 10. And so that being the case, I go, what's my part? Because we always have a part. It's not just God's part. And my part is to abide in him. And so I have to take the time to go, I choose to abide because all of this is made available to me. That kind of love can flow through me. And I want that kind of love to flow through me. I don't want just Shelby's love to minister to people. I want the love of God to flow through me to the lives of other people. That's where change takes place. And a God that would make that kind of love accessible to me, why wouldn't we wanna make that accessible to the world around us? And that's the kind of God that we serve. And so abide, 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 and abide. If you have to schedule in time, do it. Schedule in time, do it. Guys, we cannot survive without a relationship with God. And we saw in the beginning the danger 
of loving the world, it says that you don't have the love of God in you if you love the world. It says, because lawlessness is abounding, the love of many will grow cold. What is abounding in our lives? Our abiding or lawlessness, which is just worldly desires. So is lawlessness abounding, that that's where I'm spending my time abiding? Then the love of many will grow cold. We don't want our love to grow cold. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me.